today on the Tearsheet Podcast. And then this past year, we did a women founder cohort for the first time. So um, we did that because we were excited to bridge that gap as we see um, women founders not really uh, competing at the same level these days with their male peers. You know, with only about 20% of um, first round fundings going to women founders in 2019. Um, and talking to 1871, when we asked them if they were willing to go with an all women cohort, they were excited about the idea. Um, and we just forged ahead. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller, editor in chief at Tearsheet. Neve Christofek is the head of US business banking at BMO Harris Bank. Her team services about 2 million small businesses with products, digital capabilities, and experiences to help them reach their financial goals. Neve joins us to discuss BMO's support of women via its collaboration with the 1871 Innovation Program. The partnership launched the first cohort of the WMN FinTech Program, specifically supporting female entrepreneurs in FinTech with resources, programming, and mentorship. Neve Christofek is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. What could you do with better real-time consumer data? All data aggregation from Fiserv enables access to consumer permission data from over 18,000 sources. Lenders, advisors, fintech firms, and financial institutions can turn this data into actionable insight for their customers. Go to fiserv.com slash all data to learn more. Hi, my name is Neve Christofek. I'm the head of U.S. Business Banking at BMO Harris Bank. Um, so I'm in charge of product, technology, and risk for the small business sector, um, focusing on companies with revenues um, up to $5 million. So I'd love to get it and hear a little bit more about that role. Can you first tell us about your background and how you got here? Sure. So I've been in banking for 25 years, right out of college. It was always my passion um, because my dad owned his own business growing up, and I used to go into the bank with him, and I knew his banker. Um, and so I was always fascinated between the partnership between the entrepreneur and the bank and the role the bank had to play in it. So I always kind of knew I wanted to go into banking, started as a bank teller way back in the day when I was in high school, uh, went into commercial banking right after um, college, and then kind of worked my career um, through that process. Has that relationship with your father or the role that he played in your life, does, does that impact, I guess, what you bring to, to your role today at BMO? I think so, for sure. Um, so, you know, when you're part of a self-employed household, um, there isn't really a line between work and life, right? So um, I always know that our small business owners go to bed at night thinking about their family and their work, um, either their employees or how they're going to pay their own family's bills. They're one in the same. And so dinner conversation was often about the project that was being worked on through my dad's company. Um, you know, my brother worked for my dad. I worked for my dad. Um, friends worked for our dad. So it's always just in, so intrinsic to part of your life. Um, and so I think I take that to work with me, knowing that um, when you're talking to a small business owner, they're up at night worrying about their family, but also their employees' families. Um, and they're also worried about how do they stay relevant? How do they stay open? Um, and how do they stay secure? And so I always say a good banking relationship means that it's during good times, we are so symbiotic that you don't really think about needing us until you need us. Um, mm -hmm. But when you need us, we're there and resilient and we're there as a real partner to help you make real financial progress. And, and that's what I see. I see the bank as a true partner to the small business owner. Can you give us a, a sense of scale, even if it's qualitatively, of BMO Harris's activity in, in the U.S. in terms of the small business community? Yep. So um, we have, uh, let's see. We're in an eight state footprint in the United mm -hmm. States. 
and we serve approximately, um, I want to say our book keeps changing because of COVID and everything sure. else. I want to make sure I get these numbers right. Um, so we serve in the retail business space for consumer and small business, 2 million customers mm -hmm. um, across the eight state footprint, primarily in the Midwest um, and then Arizona and Florida. Uh, and you obviously alluded to Corona. It is the, you know, is the elephant in the room and it is, is impacting all of our conversations now. Um, wh what, are, what are you hearing from small business owners? What are their biggest challenges? Is, is it more the same just on, on a grander scale at this point? Um, I think there's a few things. It depends on the type of business, right? So um, a lot of small business owners have the ability to pivot quicker um, mm -hmm. because they're not moving the Titanic. And so a lot of our great customers have really come out with success stories on how they went digital, how they revised hours, how they use the PPP program to really build them over the bridge. Um, but, you know, there's always going to be certain industries that are hurt a little harder. Um, you know, we know that in the travel and the restaurant industry, takeout can only, food can only bring them so far, right? So um, it's a matter of how are they and what's their resiliency plan now. And so when we see and we talk to them, it's more about um, what's their liquidity position, how do they work better with us, with their partners, so um, are you talking to customers about better terms? Are you talking to vendors about better terms? Are you talking to your landlord? You know, everyone's kind of pitching in. Uh, if you've been a good uh, customer, if you've been a good supplier, now it's time for everyone to kind of come to the table and make sure that small businesses survive. So it's really about resiliency conversations um, to make sure that um, we all come through it. Amazing. And so... Um... I want to move now into the conversation uh, about innovation and about some of the activities yeah. you're doing there. Before we do talk about the specific program today, um, can you talk about, I guess, how your group looks at innovation in general? Like, what, what is your role in terms of, I guess, pushing, pushing uh, the boundaries, pushing the, the needle in terms of moving, moving digital, moving new, new channels forward? I think digital is such a critical channel for the small business space. Um, and for banking in general. Uh, but for small business in particular, if you think about a small business owner, a small business owner is wearing many hats, right? They're either, they're running their business, they're the primary salesperson, they're probably doing the books at night. Um, and so they need seamless digital experiences um, and they're experts in what they know. Um, they're not experts in everything. No one can be an expert in everything, but they also um, don't have the massive support networks of maybe a large corporation. So when we look for innovation in digital, a lot of times we're looking for how do we give robust solutions to our clients, whether they be the consumer or the small business space, where we can really help them make financial progress um, in ways that maybe are not our wheelhouse, or they are nice um, extensions of what we do from a financial services way, but there are other fintechs out there and service providers that are customer centric and looking to help our customers make progress in a digital way that is more integrated into their life and seamless and frictionless. So um, really, we're always looking at it with a lens of how does digital free up our resources so we can be more human when they want human contact, but make it easy when they want digital. And now a word from our sponsor. At Tearsheet's day-to-day -day conference, Fiserv's Paul Diegelman drilled down into the future of personal financial management. Paul, you're talking about PFM 2.0. It's actually two separate and distinct applications. Liquidity is a huge problem right now. Just People just don't have time to do things twice. Basically, most parts of the country shut down for COVID. Our PFM user growth was over 20% in the first two weeks alone. Underrated 100%. How could we use AI to impact PFM? I'm up for anything that helps people. 
And to help people, you need an economic model. To access the full video from Paul's talk, go to tearsheet.co slash speed of life. And, and do you see yourself um, and the institution as sort of the center of an ecosystem? Is there the intention of building an ecosystem? Or is it more yeah, just using I, different resources of, you know, whoever's best in breed out there? I think it's more about um, differentiating ourselves based on our expertise and what we know. And if we are, if there's someone out there who's doing it better and we can buy that service, we're willing to buy that service if it's not a differentiator for us because um, building is not always the answer. So that's why FinTech partnerships are so valuable to us because um, they know what they know. It kind of goes back to that small business owner, you know, respect the expertise of who knows what they know and then look for those valuable partners that help us push forward into the space. So we're going to talk about 1871 and, and, the, yep. and the women's FinTech program there, but uh, do you, I, I'm curious still at the innovation um, strategy level, um, will, will you do FinTech partnerships outside of those relationships? Do you have direct relationships with certain FinTech partners as well? Um, yeah, so in the small business space, we're currently under a build and not a partnership model right now. Um, mm -hmm. But in other areas of the bank, we do have partners actually with two people who previously were worked through 1871. So mm -hmm. we do have partnerships in the bank. Um, and we just announced a partnership with Google. So we definitely are into the partnership space. Uh, it's really just a matter of what's the need and what's the best way to fill that need. So we're open to either a build or a partner or a buy. It's really just, it's a need customer driven kind of approach. Got it. Understood. Um, so let's, let's move into the 1871 conversation. Um, yep. Can you give a little background, I guess, on the relationship there? Yep. So we have been partnered with 1871 um, for separate uh, cohorts since 2017. So um, it's always been a, I mean, 1871 is synonymous with innovation in Chicago and supporting the FinTech um, community. So we are excited to partner with them and always kind of have a cohort that's coming through that has a focus on the financial services industry. And so um, that was always local to Chicago starting in 17. Um, in 19, we actually sped it to more of a national reach. So it wasn't just Chicago companies that were in our cohort. And then this past year, we did a women founder cohort for the first time. So um, we did that because we were excited to bridge that gap as we see um, women founders not really uh, competing at the same level these days with their male peers, you know, with only about 20% of um, first round fundings going to women founders in 2019. Um, and talking to 1871, when we asked them if they were willing to go with an all women cohort, they were excited about the idea. Um, and we just forged ahead. Amazing. So can we talk about, I guess, some of the, the structure around the WMN yeah, sure. um, FinTech um, program and the cohort, and then we can move into the cohort itself. That'd be really interesting yeah. for us. Okay. Sure. So it's, I would say, a three-pronged uh, program. Um, so first, it, there's a mentoring program involved. Um, different from other years, this year is we actually have two layers of mentoring. One is a mentor of a banker um, here at the bank um, who really works with them kind of on day-to-day -day business questions, financial questions, gets to know the company. Um, and then there's also an executive champion. And that's a new layer we added in this year. And so they've all been assigned a different executive in the bank. And the value of that isn't really getting into the weeds of their business plan, what they're working on, but more about having an executive they can talk to about strategic initiatives in the bank that might have a much broader sense 
of where we're going. Um, and just getting them used to talking to executives at large companies is a different skill set than kind of more of a doer or like a mid-management uh, banker. So, um, and you know, the, we've gotten the feedback that they're really excited about having that experience. Um, and they're all women because um, we're a bank that prides ourselves with a lot of senior leaders who are women. Um, 10 years of the most powerful women in banking team. So uh, we had a lot of executives to go and ask. Uh, so it wasn't that hard to fill those roles. So that's the first part I think is um, some two levels of mentoring. And then um, 1871 brings another level of programming called their Pyros programming. Uh, that's 13 weeks of workshops, seminars, and one-on-one -on -one mentoring of their expertise um, that really focuses on growing their customer base and also how do they attract and grow their investor base, um, specifically in the fintech area. And then last but not least, we have BMO programming. Um, that programming is topical. Um, one of the major ones, I think, which is a real big boost is our digital partnership lead here at the bank, Ben Shack, runs a class that is specifically on um, the essentials of sourcing and supplier management. So what is it like when you become a supplier at a large company? What mm. does vendor management look like? What does the risk process look like? So how do you prepare yourself that even if you get someone in the business to like your idea, how do you get through the hurdles of getting through you know, a big bank or a big company? Um, we did an executive roundtable session where um, it was a blast. I, um, I actually got to moderate it. Um, and we talked a lot about the vision of the bank, where we saw the role of fintech in, in digital in the banking space. Um, and then it branched off. They got to ask questions. They asked a lot of questions about work-life balance, how you grow a career as a woman, what were the hurdles, how do you advance? Um, and so that was really interesting. You know, so sometimes we think we're going to go down a path of really talking about, you know, heavy hitting stuff. And then we went into questions about, you know, how to be a woman in the, in the boardroom when you're the only woman there. And so it was, it was a great conversation. Um, they're going to a resiliency retreat with a vendor that we're bringing in. And that's more about how do you deal with stress? How does work-life balance? How do you bounce back um, from failure? And so really just about being resilient, especially in these economic times, I think we could all use one of those. For sure. Um, we just did a whole conference on resiliency. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's something we're all going to learn, right? So yeah. it's, uh, I'm excited for them to do that. We have always done a financial management course, um, mm -hmm. you know, how to write a business plan, how to work on cash flow, how much cash flow you need to keep um, for the downturns. And then it um, ends and commences with a, uh, a pitch. So they get to really work on their plan for, you know, a 13 week period. We bring more executives in from the bank who may not have been working with this group and they pitch um, specifically pitch their businesses just so we can make sure that they're getting the exposure um, to as many executives as possible in the bank. So That's it's a pretty robust program and they're seeming to really love it. So it's great. It sounds like a great program and, and definitely talking to you, Neve, I get the feeling you really enjoy your work. Um, <laughs> I do. <laughs> you enjoy connecting with these types of companies and pulling all these pieces together. Um, we've also heard, we've had a lot of innovation program heads on the, on the podcast and we've heard a lot about the role of mentorship, which you, you mentioned now has two levels. Um, can you talk about... Um, I guess getting buy-in at the executive level, the people who are going to raise their hands to become those mentors, like what are they looking to get out of that? What, what kind of resources, were they excited to join that? Did it require some sort of, you know, um, consensus building? I'm just kind of getting, I want a kind of inside view of what, like how, how you put that together. 
You know what? It didn't take a lot of cajoling. It was just a few emails, to be honest with you. We do have a culture of giving back and mentorship at BMO. It's a really big part of who we are. Um, and I think it always excites our folks when we get to go a little bit more external, right? And really get in. Um, I think there's a passion for the entrepreneur and the startup and really helping uh, when we're in a position to help. So it didn't take much. Now, we did work for certain companies. We tried to set them up with people that are more in their areas, right? Mm -hmm. So we did try to say, if you, if you have an application that's more in the wealth industry, I want to set you up with an executive in our wealth group, right? So um, it was making sure that we were aligning the executive mentors to um, areas they would be passionate about and where they could really give advice. And so, um, but it's, sometimes it's not even a fit on the area, but it's the introduction to someone they know. And it might not even be someone in the bank, right? Like mm -hmm. our, our, it's all about the networking. Um, but it, it, it wasn't hard. Um, I thought it would be a little harder, but I, I, maybe I just caught everyone in a good mood. Um, but it's definitely part of our culture. And so, and they were excited to hear it was an all women group. That's new for us. And so um, that kind of gave us a little bit of a kickstart, I think. Interesting. And, and I'm curious also internally, um, what kind of mode or channels of communication you use to this mentorship community internally to sort of celebrate the wins and, and continue to keep them engaged in the program? Yeah, so they're meeting virtually um, often. You know, it's a very hands-on program between the mentors, the groups, the programming. Um, and I mean, it's, you can feel the buzz even. And digital's hard. You know, we're talking and not face-to-face, -face, but we're all getting used to it, right, in this new world. Um, but even in our first kickoff call, they all were going roundtable talking about what they were doing. And two different founders both said, hey, I know someone you should talk to and I'm going to introduce you offline. So um, there's a really nice sense of community within themselves. And so there's, they feed off a really good energy as their mentors um, and their executive mentors do too when they meet that way. And then as far as making sure there's awareness within the bank, we, you know, we have our internal, um, it's called Yammer. And you know, we do our internal buzzes and we're always um, sending out messages to the field and talking about what we're doing. Um, and to keep people aware. And, you know, we have a women in business um, section of our website. So we are currently writing content about this program. Uh, so when we're uh, getting closer to the end and they're closer to pitches, we want to be um, really have some great content about this cohort, even on our women in business um, tab on our business banking landing page. Because, uh, you know, we're just, we're just all about making sure that we're celebrating the successes. I got it. Um, before we jump into the cohort, which I think is probably the, one of the most exciting parts of this yeah. conversation, um, what kind of um, success metrics do you use internally to, to, to look at the, at the collaboration with 1871 and this WMN FinTech program? Like, what are you guys looking to get out of it? You know, we just really look at um, the success rate of the companies that we've done in the past. Um, that they've been able to grow and, and sustain and expand. And so they're not always a fit for us where they are either in their, um, where they are in their trajectory, where they are in their product mix. Um, and so for us, it's more about the longevity of the companies. You know, 1871 has 650 alumni businesses and, you know, have created 11,000 jobs. And wow. we like to say we're a tiny part of that, right? And so we look at our past cohorts and we say, they're still around, you know, startups fail. They're a risky, aggressive thing. And if we can help less fail and more succeed and more employ people, like that's a metric that we're really proud of. And so we really just look at sustainability. Um, and then, you know, we have in, in a few small groups, we've actually had some companies come on and partner with us. So that's like the home run, right? But you don't always get a home run when you're at back. Sure. 
so, but for us, it's more like, are they sustainable? Um, are they still in business? Are they growing? Are they still in a growth mode? Um, you know, and we stay in touch with our past cohorts. So for that, that's, that's kind of our measuring stick. Almost like you're measuring, almost like you're managing a, um, uh, an investment portfolio of a lot of yeah. different companies, a lot of moving parts. Um, can you give us a, again, one last question before we move into the cohort? Um, can you give us examples? Um, I guess if they're public, uh, of companies that have come through that program that you have partnered with the success okay. stories, you know? Yes. So, um, oh my God, I'm going to blank on their name because we Sorry, talked about them in one way yeah. inside. Um, <laughs> and I knew them and I, now I've, and so, um, I, I can talk about what they do. Sure. So one sure. actually has um, a great program for financial resiliency when um, you fall on harder times. And mm -hmm. so what's great is we actually partnered with them uh, in our collections group. So if you actually defaulted and go into collections, they're part of an arm that you can reach out to and they, they actually help you um, get uh, negotiate other bills, get discounts, mm -hmm. um, they can analyze your cell phone bill and say, are you on the right plan? And so everything about helping you improve your liquidity as well as get back on the right track of paying your bills. And so, um, and it's a free service that if you're in our collections group that we partner with them. And so that was just one example. Um, and so it's a great product. We've rebranded it something inside and I'm the worst because I don't know the name of the company off the top of my head. Um, but that's just one example. And now it's come to me. It's spring four. So spring four, I was, I knew it was a number. I knew you were going to get it head. at some point after. So yeah. It was spring four. And then we have another partnership that we worked with in our wealth that helped us with robo advisory um, mm -hmm. and helped us drive that a little bit forward. And, and that was a great partnership as well. So we've done, um, and that was Genivity. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, those are just two examples on the top of my head that like we've brought in house and been able to partner with. Um, and so, you know, we'll just see where the next cohort lands. Great. Wonderful. And, uh, yeah. amazing how they came to you as, as, as oh, you know, you it's one of those now. things I'm like, Oh, you, you almost got me. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so let's move into that, the final stage of our conversation, mm -hmm. which is really talking about this year's, um, this year's WMN cohort. Um, yep. tell us, um, about some of the companies that are noteworthy some of the ones you'd like to highlight, um, maybe some of the yeah. shared characteristics of some of these, you know, young companies as well. So, you know, our purpose at the bank is to boldly grow the good. And so we look for companies that are going to help us with our purpose. And how do we boldly grow the good? How do we help people make progress and put good things out there? So um, we had 10 finalists and then we had five companies selected from the finalist group. Um, and they all have um, in common that they're there to um, assist our customer base in some critical way. So the first one is based here in Chicago. It's called Expand HR. So, okay. I mean, if you can only think about what's going on and everything, then in COVID-related uh, times, HR is hard. HR is tricky. Um, and so this company specifically works for the small business owner um, to have better HR experiences for their employees and stronger compliance through mm. digital channels. And so... Um, they're trying to make it easy, which is what we're always trying to do. It's like, how do we make your life easier? In the banking space, we strive, we really want you to have seamless banking so you can focus on your business. And Expand HR wants to make HR easy so you can focus on your business. Like we're trying to take the headaches out of your life. And so that really aligned with us um, because it's such, you have to make it digital and easy in the small business space because it's, you're not going to be able to charge a lot of money for HR services for someone who has three employees. 
Like it doesn't make it feasible, right? So it's a matter of saying HR is a headache. How do we take really small companies and make HR support affordable? So that's expand HR. Um, that's, you know, as the head of small business, I'm a little passionate about that one, right? Um, and I can get behind that. And then we have another one uh, called Home Trust, which is in New Jersey. Um, and this is an interesting company because they offer trust services and care planning for families that have a family member with special needs. So special needs trusts are something you have to set up, um, you know, so as the care of that loved one needs to be taken on by someone else, uh, care planning as well as financial planning. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's something wow. that um, really everyone has to do as a special needs child or even adult left in their life. And so um, this makes it automated and digital using the expertise and proprietary technology they created. Uh, that one clips close to home. Um, I'll be honest, I was not on the selection panel because I pulled myself out because I got too close to the companies that were bidding. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm happy that one's in the mix because uh, I have a special needs child. So for me, um, that one hits close to home. And so, uh, you know, and that's just really about how do we bring services to customers that are human. And this is another one that when I talked to them originally, they were talking about targeting the wealthy client-based or private client. And I said, you know, private clients can afford to go to special advisors. Your average client still needs this service and you're doing it digitally. So you might need to think more broadly. And so they're actually looking at the, who their target market is. And it's really kind of a fascinating, um, it's a fascinating company. And so, uh, so exciting to see where they go. Uh, they're based in New Jersey. And then our next three companies are all similar with slightly different technology and slightly different um, target markets and methodology. Um, it's Plinkett in Michigan, Pocket Nest also in Detroit, and then Wealth Factory out of Washington, D.C. And they're all around financial literacy, financial education tools, um, training, and digital platforms. Uh, because we know from studies uh, that people know what to do often, but they don't get over the hurdle of doing it. Like we all know we should save for a rainy day, but Americans in general, me included, don't save enough for a rainy day. And so these are really specific tools. Um, and they're two of the three specifically call out Plinkett and Pocket Nest that they're for millennials as well as um, Gen X. So they're there for the up and coming generation so that they can save and do a little bit better. Um, and then the Wealth Factory also is specifically a lot on education. There's 12 different education modules. So they were really attractive to us because we're all about making real financial progress with our customers. And there's so much noise. There's so much noise out there on what you should do, how you should do it, what you should do. And so if we can work with partners to put something out there, it simplifies it, makes it easy, um, you're more likely to do it. And so all of them do them in a certain different, in different ways, slightly different nuances and different targeting. And so they've all kind of made it into the cohort. And I think they can all really help each other because of that, because they have those slight nuances. And so, um, but all exciting, all there to really, you know, push and help people succeed. Very interesting. And, and they all sound like they hit on certain thematic trends that we've seen yeah. on this podcast as well. Um, I have one last question for you, Neve. Um, what other programs does BMO have to help support um, and support women within the organization? Oh, we have an entire women in business program at BMO. Uh, I, I love it. And so um, we, like I already said, um, BMOHarris.com, right. we have a women in business tab. Um, we have specific articles 
Uh, we celebrate certain business, women business owners. We also have really good financial tools um, that we put together, cash flow tools, educational financial tools. Um, you know, women actually have been proven that they want more help um, than their male counterparts, uh, but they are less likely to ask for it, believe it or not. Um, and that they are less likely to um, network. They more worry about running their business day to day. And so mm. online tools become even more valuable for the women business owner. So we've spent a lot of time building out really good um, tools online. And then we actually started developing and just developed a branch champion network. So we have specific mm. branch managers who have raised their hand to be women in business champions. Wow. Um, and we started with networking events in our branch. So um, right before COVID, we had over 80 women business owners for a coffee in our branch and we had a panel and they were all trading cards and talking to each other. And there were so many great ideas. It was like, oh, I have a great accountant for that. And, you know, how did you do this? And who was your real estate agent here? And they were all trading ideas. My favorite one is there was a chiropractor talking to a lawyer who did, um, you know, injury cases. And they were like, oh, I can send clients to you. And they were literally talking to each other. It was so symbiotic. So um, it was more about getting women to network. And funny enough, like, and I get it because I have children too, women don't want to network at night, but they can network in the morning a little bit easier than they can network at night. So we started a coffee. Um, now, COVID has changed that a little bit, but we did do a networking event um, and we're continuing to do them monthly online. Uh, we had a panel of four women business owners from four totally different businesses, as well as the Women Business Development Center sent a lovely team member who is a, you know, a nonprofit here in the city who helps people with business plans and to coaching. Um, and we had a great discussion. And then we had breakout sessions where everyone could actually dial into separate numbers with each person on the panel. And they all had a really nice conversation. It was an hour and a half. Um, and we had over 90 women uh, attend that. So we've now Amazing. taken our in branch and put it online and it's working for us. So, um, you know, and now we're still in the process of developing and further developing um, mentoring we want to set up a mentoring network with our bankers out in the field. Uh, but we started with the networking because um, networking is so invaluable. I was, I, I talk to a client a week. I go out. Um, I used to go out in person, but now I have a zoom call a week and I just talk to a client and ask what's going on and what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Mm. And I was talking last week to um, a wonderful woman who owns a boutique in Indiana. And I said, how are things going? And she's like, well, I'm doing really well. I've changed to this. And she told me how she changed her business model. And then she was talking about another boutique owner who was struggling because her rent was too high. And she's like, I, I told her how to talk to her landlord. And I said, oh, do you talk to a lot of boutique owners? And she said, yes, I purposely created a coffee with six different boutique mm. areas, owners in the area. And we know what we hold in stock. And I've sent people say, I don't have something for you, but she has something for you down the street. And we literally bounce ideas off of us. She's like, cause there's enough business for all of us and we will all rise together. Beautiful. And so it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're trying to really foster um, to make sure that women stay resilient during this time. Amazing. Neat, thank you so much for sharing all that you do and joining us on the Tear Sheet Podcast today. Oh, I had such a great time. Thank you for letting me ramble on. <laughs> <laughs>